loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Carol Venitza. Carol has had a passion for storytelling since crafting articles for her college newspaper. She was a former sports writer for the Orange County Register and a regular contributor to Orange Coast Magazine. She continued her writing career in advertising, where she wrote ad copy for some of Orange County's most successful companies and nonprofit organizations. Carol served as director of marketing for The Strand at Headlands, a historic property located on California's Gold Coast. Her creative and inspired approach to marketing, her deep connection to the community and her team spirit helped to position the Strand as one of California's most coveted residential communities and storied destinations. Carol resides in Dana Point. She's the author of the Survival Handbook for Land and Sea, A Girl's Guide to Life at the Beach, and Murder on Hollywood Beach, the book we'll mostly be talking about today, is Carol's debut novel in the Messy Girl Murder series. Welcome, Carol. Thank you. That was a great introduction. <laughs> well, people got to know about you, that's for sure. Uh, you know, I was, I was saying uh, before we got on air just how um, much I resonated with, with how your personal story led to your writing. Uh, and I was sharing with you that um, I read a lot of murder mysteries when my wife was dying as a way of grappling with the fact that she was dying. And you wrote one. I did not write one. <laughs> I wrote a much later uh, uh, a, a regular old novel. But um, I really appreciate uh, really appreciated having a murder mystery to to read this week a good murder mystery and it took me back to that time so thank you for that oh thank you so i guess <clears throat> i guess we can start not necessarily with the book and the story of the book but how you came to write it because that's of course how you came to be on this show in particular um you were, as I understand it, struggling with a, a lot of different things in your family at the same time when the story idea came to you. Can you describe that a bit? Yes. I. So, you know, it's like the perfect storm. Um, my husband was just diagnosed with cancer when I learned that my daughter um, had an addiction to alcohol and was in the throes of it. And, you know, you're battling these. Well, and she was, my, she's my adult daughter who lived with us and you're struggling to find answers. And, and I think you may appreciate this is you, I'm very solution driven. So I've got the right answer for everything. I know exactly where to go and what to do and who to go to. But when you're dealing with these 
these uh, diseases that have a mind of their own, you you're totally out of control. There's there's no way to find the pieces to put the puzzle together. So I started just envisioning this character, my character, main character in my novel. It's a first person point of view. And it was a young girl, just very much like my daughter, very smart, very well-educated. And but for her disease, alcoholism, she would have been a success, hopefully. Um, that's everybody's but, idea anyway, right? Yeah, you should. And that's, <laughs> uh, as a parent, as a, and you know this, as a parent, as a wife, and as a wife, you all you want is just some harmony in your family, just a sense of, of peace. And when that harmony starts to fall apart, try to figure out ways to bring it back, you know, how to bring my well-being back. And I guess for anybody, you know, we all we all find our our ways of dealing with stress and different things, you know, exercise or talking to friends. But for me, I get very hunkered down and um, and like I said, trying to find this solution where there were none. And so I was envisioning this character who who kept getting in the way of herself and um, because of her disease, she was not honest with, with people and that led to even more problems. And, um, and so that's how it all started. And where I couldn't control the outcome for my daughter, I could imagine this positive outcome for my character, Amanda, in my book. I think it not was to really... Mention, not to mention, Amanda, uh, to me, is not just her addiction. Uh, you see all the other parts of her. She's ingenious. She's, she's um, really putting everything she has into trying to think this thing through. She, she's also a problem solver in a way, right? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, the apple doesn't far, fall too far from the tree. <laughs> and so that, I think, Amanda is, is definitely an overthinker who's, who's growing, like, growing through this story. She's coming up against herself. And she is, she's all those things that you said. She is clever. She's, she is resourceful and she lacks the confidence and which I think is very, you know, true of my daughter to really put forth her best foot forward and move on and get control of her own life. And uh, I think this was truly the problem with this character is she finds herself in this horrible place, she's finally getting her feet on the ground when her ex-husband's wife ends up murdered on the beach behind her house. Um, I could read a little bit. Uh, oh, this, this part is, 
kind of a part that this is kind of in the beginning of the book and it will give you a sense of her kind of overthinking and how she's isolated herself, which I think is the problem of it, alcoholism and a lot of diseases. So she hears a noise. She's worried that somebody might be, there might be an intruder close by. And she's sitting down on the stairs of her house and inside. And she says, God, I'd really like to talk to someone right now. At least when I was married, I had Jeff to talk to. Even though he was hardly ever home, I could at least call him. I scroll through my contacts list. A1 Storage, AA, I never got a sponsor. Penny Abbott, Airbrush Canning, Robin Anderson. I finger down through the list. Seriously, I'm 32 years old, divorced, living alone. And at this point in my life, there's not a single person that I call can call to commiserate with or even message on Facebook. I know it's, at, it's late, but still. And I think that's the loneliness and the heaviness of, of people like my daughter who because of some of the shame of their disease, they, they isolate themselves and they have to figure a way out of this isolation. I feel there's another aspect too. tell me if this resonates for you that um, shame, uh, things that happen to people that involve shame and hiding uh, often burn bridges. So one thing I was so aware of with Amanda was people didn't trust her, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> she, because, because I've I've had uh, I, I've worked with addiction. I've had people who who've had that experience in their lives, and what you lose in the process is your credibility. And then something really happens to you, and there's no way to convince people in a certain sense that it's actually happening. Um, so that really stood out in the book to me that she had that extra challenge at getting people to even imagine that she was telling the truth. Yes. And I think that was, and, and really I've lived this life and I, I know what it's like. It's one more thing. And as a parent and I, and Amanda's mom, you know, her father who lives in Chicago, far away from where she is, but uh, they've all kind of like, ah, one more thing, Amanda, is just one more thing. And credibility is huge in the life of a person with addictions. So then it's Uh, hard to get, even if you are personally willing to stop isolating, who do you stop isolating with? (laughs) You know, if the people that are healthy in your life are, are looking at you sideways a bit. Exactly. You, the people that are healthy in your life are all, this is just my personal experience. And in writing, you, you just take a step back and step back from people who are dishonest with themselves and dishonest with you. And, you know, hope that hope for the best. I'm thinking of a film I saw recently with, um, I'm, I'm blanking the name, oh, Four Good Days with um, oh. Mina Kunich and, and Glenn Close. Oh, I, 
And uh, it really, really captures this dilemma that you and I are talking about now, where at a certain point, you do have to step away. I'm sure with your daughter, you you tried all kinds of things to to fix it, I guess. And eventually you have to realize, oh, this person is going to have to decide they want to fix it. There's no way I can make them do it. (laughs) Well, that, well, you know, so this, so this struggle, you know, like with my daughter and, and writing, starting to imagine this character in the waiting rooms when my husband was getting tested and, you know, having surgery and, all the different things that we went through imagining this character i i never let go because of course i've got probably control issues of my own you know i want to fix her i want to make her better but at some point what i couldn't do for my daughter i could let this character amanda grow up in this story try to try her to see her way through not depend on her mom or her dad or anybody else but depend on herself and figure out how to get herself out of you know we all contribute to our own problems no one is just helpless here and yes i i think amanda through this little stretch of time started to come face to face with that. There's, a, there's another uh, saying a little to the side that people who are very good at affecting their realities, like it sounds like you have been, sometimes don't know much about the, the second part of the serenity prayer, you know, accepting the things you can't change and <laughs> and have a hard time discerning the difference between things you can change and things you can't change. Do you feel that the circumstances with your husband and your daughter uh, kind of clarified the difference between those two things for you? You know something, Cheryl, it's so interesting you should say that because up until the moment my husband took his last breath, and I'm, I kid you not, I was thinking, no, I'm, I've got this one more contact. I'm going to get a hold of this doctor and I, I'll connect with him. And I've read the research on this and this might fix it. And, and at this point, my poor husband was barely hanging on. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and even with Kelly, my daughter, I, I still, I have that feeling too, that no matter how much I intellectually know that I've got to just let go. It's so hard. I, I feel for all the parents or family members who have gone through what I have gone through because it's so hard to let go. And, and that surrender, serenity prayer, I believe in it. I absolutely do it. I have to I'm not saying that. Myself. Yeah, I'm not saying that having that signpost makes it easy to do it. Yeah, I'm just saying <laughs> eventually something comes along in life, and for you, you you experienced a one-two punch, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Something comes along in life that makes it absolutely clear 
that there are things that are beyond your control. And, yeah. and that, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you as a human. It's called life. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It's a humbling thing. I've got to say it's humbling. And, and I really am grateful that I had this book and I have my second one is, you know, close to being finished, but I'm really grateful that I had that outlet that I can make that process work for me and work through these things that uh, were so difficult in real life that I could kind of transition it into my imaginary life. And of course, that's, that's the heart of this show that you're on today, you know, is what comes out of these challenges. Uh, for you, it's a book for starters. And I, I have to think probably other things too. You know, I'll bet you are certainly better at distinguishing between things you can change and things you can't. Uh, uh, and it, it sounds as if you never, that doesn't mean you have to lose hope that something will improve. You just don't think you can make it improve every time. Yes. That's, and, and I think the subject of your um, radio show, you know, good grief and coping with grief and finding value in grief. I think when Tony, my husband died, it wasn't giving in to grief. It was being empowered by that fact of, Carol, you can't change mm. this. And you've got to keep going. And you've got to be strong. It, it really well, didn't mean that I wasn't sad. But so it really... Get, this is a, such a big subject. I'd love to take a break and then come back to it. How grief okay. was for you and how the things we're talking about factored into your grief with him. Of course, quite different from the situation with your daughter, but still there's that beyond your control part, right? Yeah, so let's exactly. come back and talk about that. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Carol Venetza in her book, you can go to www.carolvenetza.com. F-I-N-I-Z-Z-A author.com. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, Working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. And I've been talking with Carol Venitza, the author of Murder on Hollywood Beach, about the book and about what brought her to write it. And Carol, before the break, we were uh, just beginning to talk about uh, how you responded. You know, you said you you were trying to find a cure, find a way forward for your husband until the end, right? But then somehow... When he actually died, it sounds as if you didn't do what often happens, which is to think you should have found it, right? It sounds as if you accepted this thing was beyond my control. Did I hear that right? Yes, without a doubt. And what do you think allowed you to do that, being a person who's solution-oriented, always looking for, you know, the, the answer, what allowed you to go into acceptance pretty immediately that this had happened and that you couldn't have prevented it? Because that's a big issue for lots of people in grief. Well, this is interesting. I, how life is is so unexpected, but my husband was in intensive care and they, the, social worker came by and asked me if I'd like to see a priest. And I said, no, absolutely not. And she said, oh, no, this is for a heal anointing of the sick. And I said, oh, sure, I'll do that. I mean, absolutely. How, what could be wrong about that? And this priest came in, and he asked me, we were outside of my husband's earshot and he asked me if Tony knew he was dying if I had ever told Tony he was dying I said no and he said we're going to tell him it gets me very choked up talking about this but it was a moment of absolute there like joy this priest never mentioned death. He mentioned life. This is about transitioning into a different life for Tony. And I have a lot of faith. And the power of that, the power of knowing the priest wasn't talking about the end. He was talking about the beginning. 
And so for me to have that, that moment, just Tony and I, the whole family was there, but they weren't in the room with us. It was just myself, Tony, and this priest. And it was a gift from God, whatever God you believe in, whatever faith you have. Moments of it, grace, right? Moments grace. of grace. It was whatever, whatever you grace. think brings that about, that's what exactly. happened to you. And um, I, I've never known anyone that doesn't have to deal with the emotional aspects of grief after they lose their spouse. But having that, you didn't lose him as a continuous presence. It sounds like you lost his body, right? Right. (laughs) Um, And that that has a big, I resonate with that with my wife. I never actually felt like our relationship was damaged by her death. Uh, It was certainly changed radically. (laughs) but um, but but the idea that of of kind of i was still related uh there was a relatedness in me towards her and it sounds as if that might have been part of what you're talking about exactly exactly and i i really am like i said so grateful like what if that moment had passed what would my feeling have been would i have been angry would i have been um you know, devastatedly lost. No, I, I felt like you just said that connection was there. It just was there in a different way. How long was he ill? If I could ask. Well, he was diagnosed in, uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he, he was healthy for seven years he lived with it and he was a brilliant guy he was the chief economist at arco he was um, brilliant with the best attitude in the world and he went on after that diagnosis and we got him into a vaccine program which it was life-changing for him and all his doctors at Johns Hopkins believed that that bought him a lot of time, good time. Like his best work was after, you know, brilliant work. He had retired from, from his job as art at Arco and then went on to do his best work um, consulting for an international company. And it was, um, yeah, seven seven wonderful years until the last year that was so hard when the cancer came back. Which I, my my mother died of pan, pancreatic cancer, so I know that illness pretty well. And oh, yeah. um, that's an extremely long time to live with pancreatic cancer. Yeah, uh, it is. So... For one thing, I can imagine that that leads, you know, my my wife was supposed to die in six months to a year and she lived almost a decade. So I know like for people to outlive, it's it's so hard to actually take it in that the person is dying because they've been around that block so many times, you know, (laughs) Um, exactly. but I do wonder, I know for me, the fact that it was so long uh, did have an impact on my preparation. I don't know if that's true for you or not, but um, 
you know, everything past a year was a pure gift, honestly, (laughs) you know, no one expected it. So I do think that impacted my experience. I don't know if it impacted yours that he lived so far beyond what was expected. Well, I think that's why I think I was so into the research as a writer, as a reporter, you know, I mean, I was more than a sports writer, but, you know, throughout the job I had, I did many kinds of writing, but I love the research part of it. And the research I did in the connection to Johns Hopkins and this vaccine clinical trial and all that, that's why the very, I was not prepared. I was in, you know, people say you're in denial. Well, I, maybe in, in a lot of ways, maybe that's the thing that's made me a happy person. You know, selective reality. Everything has, has its place, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I am a happy person. And I, I do have this really, uh, I guess maybe I, a, a gift for just seeing the, the glass half full. So I was so not prepared. Like these, this doctor came up to me and said, uh, looked at me and said, oh, I just couldn't stand this doctor. Sorry. But he said, you know, Carol, your husband is dying. And this like a couple days before he died. And I said, like, who told you that? Like, why do you think you know that? I mean, you know, we're all dying, you know, at some point. And it was so offensive to me because I was so deep into denial. Um, but also, so, but also, that's not a very gentle way to. There, there is some use, I believe, in in um, an honest conversation, right? Sometimes yes. they don't happen, and that's another a different kind of problem. But you don't just come up to someone who's still geared towards life as the as the um best outcome or whatever and say you know he's dying uh, there are so many better ways to navigate that conversation so i understand why that still sticks in your sticks in your throat a bit there it, you know it's so interesting because just talking about that moment in time and that the priest who walked into Tony's hospital room came after this, this doctor. And I think, I think both things happened for the re- a reason that, that facing that harsh reality of something that I just rejected completely. And then the soft, the priest telling me, well, we're going to tell him he's dying talked about life and so two different approaches and I heard both of them and the approach of this priest who was like you said the grace of whatever God you believe in or the grace of whatever faith you have it it just changed me so much inside that that I could it's accept any eventuality at that point because things happen for a reason i know i i you say that and it's a cliche but i do believe it 
But there's also an aspect in my mind, and of course, I work with end of life a lot. So, you know, I'm immersed in this subject area we're in, but um, there's an aspect in which um, many doctors uh, put uh, define hope as um, continued life. But of course, there are many other things to hope for. Um, And what what the priest offered you, you know, the the doctor was basically saying, you know, it's hopeless. Yes, (laughs) exactly. But the priest was not saying that he was saying within these conditions, we hope for a a beautiful passing into a different life. Right. That's a hopeful message. It's not a even though even though your husband was in fact, physically dying, it wasn't a hopeless message at all. Yeah, I agree entirely. You're, you're, I think the brain or the mind can accept those messages and hang on to those when they're going through such a tragic event better than they can that, you know, like, a, a, you know, a slap in the face. Yes. Well, because it's a, especially in this culture, it's a very uh, delicate, fragile part of us. Yeah. Until you've had this experience, then I don't feel it's that fragile in me anymore. But, Mm -hmm. but we're not, we're not taught to deal with it, right? So (laughs) it's a very sensitive part of us. uh, And, you know, you're just not prepared, even though everyone knows it's going to happen. Uh, that doesn't mean we know how to handle it. Exactly. And and so your husband got, as I understand it, your husband was diagnosed about the same time you realized that your your daughter was uh, an alcoholic. Is that correct? Yes. And and then there were seven years where he was. Uh, you know, dealing with it, I'm sure, but um, having a great life, uh, doing well. What went on with her in that period? Oh, so many ups and downs and so many learning uh, uh, curves for me. She, you know, I'm such an idiot, truthfully. She had a horrible episode just about the time my husband, like I said, was diagnosed. And she, we took her to the local hospital. I mean, she was, it was alcohol poisoning. And, and this hospital is kind of, it, you know, it's a local hospital, but they're also, they have like an alcohol unit. And so they, they knew and they came in and they talked to Kelly and they talked to me and they, you know, and they really, I mean, again, this, this one doctor was, you know, your daughter could die here at the hospital while I, she's in our care. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so new to this and I'm like, okay, so now what do we do? And she was in there for, I think, two or three days and she came out. And again, me, I'm like, oh, good. Now you're okay. You now you're, <laughs> big accident <laughs> there. You won't yeah, do that yeah. again. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, that's your rock bottom, right? You hit rock yes. bottom. No, she struggled. She, 
she, I want to set, tell you that one of the hardest points, and I was, she was in therapy. I sent her to this rehab in Arizona where I'm like, take me, you know, it, this beautiful place in Sedona, you know, mm -hmm. where they do like hot rock massages and, you know, and I've just been through the mill and she's going for a month and I'm like, Oh God, I want to, you know, <laughs> a little envious there. Huh? <laughs> Completely. I need a I break want, too. <laughs> I need the break. I want the hot rock massage and that, you know, let's talk about this every day and eat healthy food. And um, so there were a number of those different things. There were a number of horrible disruptive events in the neighborhood. We live in an beautiful neighborhood in Dana Point where horrible, disruptive, you know, confrontations, you know, where, you know, storming out of the house and all the lies, all the, you know, so I mean, and then, and then that, that um, found its way into your book, I'd say, in a sense, you know, the, um, your main character being in a neighborhood and being seen as um, disruptive and negative and all the rest um, in the case of your book, misunderstanding, yes. but um, that was a, that's, that was an experience you had that must've felt so vulnerable to you as uh, the neighbor of all these people to have that happen. Oh, you know, it, how how we all manage things, you know, how we all deal with the chaos of our lives. And, you know, again, she eventually got her act together and um, moved out and moved to Mammoth and she got married. She had my granddaughter, this beautiful little girl, Sophia. And now this is this is where you know i need to go into deep therapy but she's back at my house again with my granddaughter she's been there for about six years it's not and, a it's not a a, a a straight up street is it let's no. let's come back and talk about that a bit more after the break okay and, Listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, the Good Grief host page where there are links to everything about me, and to find Carol Vanitza, you can go to Carol Vanitza at F-I-N-I-Z-Z-A author, carolvanitzaauthor.com. Back after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. <laughs> 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Carol Finitza, author of Murder on Hollywood Beach, and we were talking before the break, Carol, about the the up and down um, nature of addiction for many, many, many people. And I was asking you over the break, um, you know, whether there was a different way that that illness impacts a sense of embarrassment or shame versus a, a purely physical illness like pancreatic cancer. Right. People try to make something psychological out of it. I think that's pretty absurd. Right. So uh, has that has it been different to deal with her illness and the ups and downs of it psychologically for you? Absolutely. I, I think and this is for anyone who's lived or had someone with addiction in their life. What I think is the difference between dealing with somebody with a terminal disease like pancreatic cancer, somebody with also a terminal disease like alcoholism is in the, with a patient, you've got this compliance. They want to get better. They want to live. They want to do, you have a partner and you can be a partner to that person and help them when the person is in the throes of their addiction, they're not compliant. They're accusatory. They're into blame, into um, chaos and disruption. And for the person who's trying to, you know, who's living with that other person, it's, it's hard to live in chaos. It's hard to live waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, it's very difficult. 
I think you just said something so important that, um, you know, I, I have often thought about what it would have been like to um, navigate my, my wife's illness if we didn't have a good relationship. Um, and of course, I've, I've witnessed that with people, negative relationships. Um, and how different it is to navigate illness with that. And I almost feel that way about what you're saying with addiction, that if you are in a good place, uh, two people are in a good place together, then they're navigating together. They're yeah, responding yeah. together. Uh, you know, you're kind of two, two points on the same axis in a way. But if it's a negative relationship or if you have wildly different views on what ought to happen um, or it's an illness like addiction, you don't have that advantage, do you? No, um, there's very hard on, on people. I mean, the, it's hard on everyone. I mean, it's hard on the addicted person because while they're in their addiction, they're, they feel totally victimized, you know, by, I'm sure my daughter felt very victimized by me. Like I'm not doing enough, giving her enough, understanding enough, <laughs> all these things. And where the opposite is so true when you have this great relationship with your partner who you need each other. Right. It's you need each other. It's not just me giving all to Tony. It's, he was giving as much to me and you really depend on each other. You're, you are a team in, in the, with addiction, it's just chaos. Just really difficult. It, what I know, my, uh, my dear, dear friend, her son was uh, addicted, um, got, you know, ended up on the street. He's actually doing extreme, has been doing extremely well for quite a number of years now, but um, it, it causes you as a parent, the things you do naturally as a parent don't help. Did yes. you find that, you know, you, it's Absolutely. almost like the helpful thing is the opposite of the impulse. Precisely. And that, that's, that's just precisely. a terribly hard place to be uh, because it makes it makes people feel like bad parents when actually once you start setting limits and saying no and, you know, cutting, kind of separating yourself from it, that's the most helpful thing you can possibly do. That is exact. <laughs> well, no, it is. It is absolutely counterintuitive. And, and you live for so long. You know, it, it is like what you were saying. It is like a bad relationship where, you know, the boyfriend's cheating on the girlfriend or the husband's cheating on the wife and he's saying, I'll never do it again. Or, oh, you're crazy. I, I, I did. I wasn't out. I wasn't doing the, that. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't doing that. And, you know, you're in a constant state of confusion. And, and like you said, you're, what I did as a mom, as when my daughter was young and growing up and in, junior high, high school, and college were all the things that very consistent with whatever any mom would do, you know? 
Right. And, and she was like this overachiever girl, very, very smart, very top of her class in everything. I was the bad influence. I was like, can we ditch school one day and get a manicure? And she's like, are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? So, <laughs> not, not, a, not an unusual <laughs> picture for people who uh, sometimes, you know, um, I believe in physical addiction, but sometimes how people get started down that road is um, they have no relief from their own high expectations. That's, she's a perfectionist. And my character, Amanda, is very, that is her, so it doesn't matter how perfect Amanda's life is, Amanda doesn't see it like that. There's always something she can change or fix. And when you're in the throes of your disease, you're just creating this messier, messier situation for yourself so you're always behind you know the the eight ball trying to catch up with yourself that's a good way to put it and and i imagine so there was this period where your daughter was um seeming to be doing well marriage child uh, and and that means you can relax a little bit, yes. It, yes. It's not. So I could imagine you had to sort of re rebolster uh, your strategies to have her actually living with you again. Um, that's a very different thing than having her somewhere else having a crisis. Uh, that's that's a tough balance to strike. And it is different when you're you're living when you have a granddaughter involved and you're living alone, you have, you know, this is, it's very difficult. It's, it's been a challenge, a big challenge. I mean, she is better. She's doing better. She's a great mother when she's, you know, not in, the throes of her disease. My granddaughter is just a wonderful little girl, 10 years old. Amazing. But she's been through a lot too. And I'm grateful I've been there. I've been able to be the buffer. In a way, Carol, I feel as if we've circled back to the beginning where we were talking about how you tell the difference between things that you can impact things that are yeah. kind of in your court and things that are truly not. Uh, it sounds as if that's what you're always trying to discover. Um, you know, being, I know from being a counselor that when people have someone kind of outside of the difficulty, um, loving them and supporting them and being as honest as possible with them, it makes a huge difference in the long run. So that's a part you are playing and can play. Is yeah. that how you experience it? I, I think it is. I think I've, I've, you're so right. You, there are things that I've learned over this long period of time is like you said, there are things you can control and things you can't. And I have really learned, forced myself to learn 
how to let go of so much. This is not my, this is her life and she needs to have this life for herself, for all the good, the bad, and, you know, whatever. And that's, that's how, back to Amanda, that's how I, I really saw this story through is that's when Amanda comes around to say, it is my life. And I have to make my life happen. Nobody can do it for me. Well, and in Amanda's case, uh, I was just thinking about this as you were talking, things, what finally really got her uh, committed to having her life was almost entirely losing it. That's a pretty deep bottom, isn't it? If you're if you're dead, if you're in jail for the rest of your life, you know, if if um, yeah. you get injured by these murderous people, that's kind of bottom line. That is bottom line, but it <laughs> is it's a bottom line for everyone, right? I mean, life or death situation. And right, that, but it, it does it get just, your, it got Amanda's attention. So I, I feel that sort of, um, you know, maybe a mother's, a mother's hope with that kind of thing, something will get through short of the worst. God, I pray. I pray that it just, you know, that's, that's what we all pray for. Just some, a little harmony, a little peace over an extended period of time. <laughs> So we can just and, have and fun. You, and you wrote a whole book. I mean, uh, I'm assuming the same the same Amanda is going to be a part of all these books. Yeah. So you're inventing <laughs> inventing a, a world in which um, she gets to be flawed and wonderful and effective and go forward with her life, huh? Yeah. It's it is fun. It's. There's a lot of reward to it, I must say. Well, it's been a delight to talk with you. Thanks for being on the show with me. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. You can find Carol Fenitza and her, her book at carolfenitzaauthor.com. Next week, I'll have Jonathan Wess, the founder of Time Capsule Family Connections. The death of his father at an early age fueled Jonathan's passion for preserving memories for those who are facing a loss. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.